Tom, how goes it? Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to you. Did you enjoy today's cup victory over Aston Villa? I enjoyed the first half. I actually thought we played pretty well in the first half. I mean, the standard for us at the moment isn't that high. So maybe, yeah. maybe I was comparing us to very much. I was very much comparing us to the last 10 games or so. And I felt the whole game was just a little bit better than recently. I, but I think there's a caveat with that. Like, I feel like it was almost like when Biden replaced Trump as US president. Like, it's definitely, we were definitely better and it's definitely a better position, but there's still massive structural problems, which are very apparent. And that was the case today. Like the second half was really quite poor. And as soon as they up the intensity and kind of started to show us a lot, little, a lot less respect, we, we've came up under a lot of pressure in that second half and we barely could get out of the half at times, which at, at home against Villa is not a good sign, but I, I thought it was better, but like I say, better compared to what we've seen recently, which isn't hasn't been great at all. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that BBC gave Scott McTominay man of the match. And it, it's one of those things about how the human brain works, isn't it? It's either the most recent things or the most important things that we remember. And, and mm-hmm. he scored the goal. So let's be honest, he was completely overrun. Him and Fred were yeah. completely overrun in the second half. And I thought Jacob Ramsey was probably the best player on the pitch, completely mm. dictated the the second half and he's he's a kid but it shows you what quality can do in there and it's just such a mixed bag from those two you know those two being Fred in midfield because obviously they combined for the goal it was absolutely beautiful ball in from Fred Mm. I mean just pick that out Bruno Fernandes couldn't have produced better Uh, and the run from McTominay in the right position stayed in there in the mixer didn't he Uh, and and a fine header and and you think yeah brilliant excellent but but the way the Villa just broke through United's midfield for almost the entire second half. I mean, they had, at one stage, they had 65% possession in the second half. They just completely dominated United. Mm. A couple of goals chalked off. One very clearly, the second one. The other one, well, it was absolutely marginal on three fronts. Yeah. I was swapping messages with a former host of uh, NQAT. <laughs> and uh, we were trying to work out what the hell it had been ruled out for. Tom and a, I just I can't figure him out. He's not a six and he's not an eight. And Fred's not a six and he's not an eight either. And between them, they're not much of anything. And no. sometimes some are something. And it's a real problem for United. I mean, it's obvious. It's so obvious. Yeah. To the point of being negligent that the club won't fix it. Yeah. And like you say, it's a deep irony that those two combine brilliantly, brilliantly for the, for the goal. Yeah. But we just have so many problems with, with those two in midfield. Both of them are really scruffy on the ball. At times, they can be fantastic on the ball, but so many passes go wayward. Their first touches aren't perfect all the time. And defensively, yep. there's nothing, there's no defensive mind in them. Fred was an attacking player at Shakhtar, has attacking, uh, well, was an attack, uh, attacking player when he was growing up. They don't have like defensive discipline, awareness, nous. They're not great tacklers of the ball. If you compare them to, defensively to like the best center mids in in the division like someone like Fernandinho someone who's like bossed yeah. the midfield for ages it's just so obvious it's obviously so different but they don't have the tidiness going forward either and that's just yes, a huge yeah. problem like at times they look like they can be really good and like McTominay against Burnley was excellent and at times today he looks like he's excellent it's at the, times, isn't it's, it? It's, it's always at times. And you can't have that in midfield. In centre midfield, it's so important. It Obviously, 
it's so important in an offensive perspective because most of the play goes through the middle and that's where you direct your attacks but defensively it makes it so difficult for the defense and makes them look so bad making Varane look so dodgy because there's just no protection from from McFred and as soon as Villa up to intensity in the second half that's what we saw going back to the first half that was good to start from United wasn't it the press was on and the much talked about press Cavani funnily enough joins in doesn't he and Mm. it helps um when you have a trigger for the press and and it's all coordinated and and that was true and United won the ball back a few times through there and it was hard for Villa because honestly they're not that great passing out of the back Villa Conta's probably better than Mings but there was an opportunity there for United to put pressure and that sets the tempo for the whole team yeah. and I thought the passing was actually pretty good in that first half and although probably the intensity sort of dried up a little bit by the end of that half United were a good value for going in at halftime in the lead, I thought. And certainly much better than game, what do we have recently? Wolves, which was dreadful. Newcastle, <laughs> which was pretty dreadful as well. Much, much better than that in the first half. And going you know, back even further, thinking about the team sheet and when it was announced, I was like, okay, got to be honest. No surprise to anyone listening to this. My first look at the team sheet, I was like, no Ronaldo, no Maguire, happy days. <laughs> and and uh, I'm being flippant, but uh, I, I think it helps both ends of the pitch when neither mm. of them are there. Maguire's been dreadful this season. And I think Ronaldo's just causing too many structural problems. Yeah. And that intensity press in the first half that United got wouldn't have, been, wouldn't have happened with Ronaldo in the team. And so, so we just got a bit more juice out of what is a deeply flawed team yeah. for 45 minutes or so. And, and then not much after that. No, but like I say, I agree as well. I think like the fluidity of the attacks looked better. I thought there were actually patterns to the attacks as well, especially the switch of plays and and the the wingers were staying wide. The fullbacks were getting wide as well, which was, which all looked good. I don't know if I was just, this is kind of a placebo effect of Ronaldo not being there, but I felt like Greenwood and Rashford in that first half did feel like they had the shackles off and were, were trying things a little bit more. I thought both of them were really good in the first half, which... Rashford definitely didn't <laughs> keep that consistency in the second no. half, but I thought they were pretty good. They could have been more like cleaner in, in possession, in, in, especially in, with chances that they wasted in, in that first half and obviously the second as well. But I thought they were trying things more than they were recently. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I just thought, I, I don't know if it was because Ronaldo wasn't there that they were maybe pot- potentially playing better or not, but in that second half, they both, yeah, kind of fell away. Fell away, yeah. Greenwood, I guess we're waiting for him to mature because we know the quality he's got. He doesn't always pick the right pass or pick any pass, in Mm. fact. And you can kind of see, kind of feel it in Cavani and Rashford when he won't pass to anyone. And there's a moment in the second half which got an awful lot of blowback on on social media where Rashford didn't follow up a ball that Emi Martinez didn't take mm. cleanly either looking for the cutback or back on his heels or I don't know what it was I don't know whether he'd got there anyway but it seemed to kind of sum up part of this I think he just assumed there would be a shot and didn't follow it in that kind of summed up Rashford's second half especially but a lot of the, a lot of the game he just seems a shot of confidence actually my instincts don't go to dumping on him because he he had a bad back injury and then he had a shoulder and a foot injury last season. He came back late from the shoulder operation. And so I have a lot of sympathy that he's had a lot of disruption to his football in the last two years. 
and like piling on that is the lack of confidence and the fact that just like everything seems to go wrong. So mm. too many first touches are loose, too many passes are loose, not picking the right time to attack or to pass. That seemed to just get worse as it went on. And you can kind of see him looking at the bench when he was subbed off. He looked completely bereft, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. His body language yeah. all night was really bad. And it is, uh, yeah. It's, it, it's, it just looks like he's got the world on his shoulders. And, and you kind of see Alanga come on and cheer up the crowd and yeah. has that fearlessness which Rashford had when he came through. It just makes you just wonder, what, where has it all gone wrong for, for you? I don't think it's like terminal, what we're seeing from Rashford. No, but I don't it feels, But it's been a long time. Yeah, n neither of his last two seasons were particularly great. First half of this season has been dreadful. Hmm. Last season wasn't all that great and a fair bit of the season before was disrupted as well. So, yeah, it, it has been a long time he's been in the malaise and the fear is there, clearly, because yeah. he's lost all confidence. I can't help but think about what he's had in terms of coaching under Ollie, which is basically go out there and enjoy yourself, lads. <laughs> yeah. Appears to be the instructions. And he's a young player still learning his craft. He's flitted in his early years between playing at number nine and and playing as an inside forward. It seems like inside forward is his best position, but none of that time really has he had any detailed coaching. Came through under Van Gaal, who, who would have been detailed, but didn't have much time with him. Had the time under Mourinho, who famously does not coach forwards. And, and then Oli, who just was one of the lads. And mm -hmm. so I feel like the club have not done well by him he's had all these injury problems and now you're right with the body language it goes with the confidence but i think it is on the precipice of the crowd getting on top of him isn't it and that's gonna that's gonna make it even worse yeah and i felt like they were today and obviously especially after that one way where martinez dropped it like even just as a, a thing to kind of because maybe he wasn't going to get there if he'd busted his gut, and I don't think he would have got there, to be honest. Doubt it. But it's, it's one of them kind of efforts that you make just to, to look good. And yeah. like it's putting a, a tackle out, a, a tackle on, on a guy who's on the side of the pitch and the ball goes out for a throw and the crowd, go, crowd loved that for some reason. And it's the kind of thing that the crowd would have just loved it if he'd have gone really hard into Martinez there. But he's not winning the crowd over even in them sort of situations as well. And then I feel like I don't, wasn't there obviously at the game but I don't know if there were cheers when Rashford came off potentially sounded like it what like it did when through the yeah. through the crowd anyway well and it never happened in the past you know I mean Old no. Trafford was famed for never getting on the players backs nope. I mean there was that I was at the game where Giggs supposedly got booed when he got subbed off against Blackburn Rovers and it that, that wasn't the case either then it's a very modern thing for yeah. the crowd to get on top of the players Old Trafford and yeah I, I I fear for Rashford and I don't know what the answer is because it's not as if he's getting a lot of game time either he's in and out of the side as are all the forwards bar Ronaldo so except for this game of course yeah. and so yeah I, I do fear for his his development and his confidence and him going forward but I think he's too good to fail but we've seen really good players fail before haven't we yeah and it'd be you're completely right on the positional front as well and him not having the proper coaching in place because when he came through we thought he was a number nine we've seen him play on the left and not be effective we've seen him on the right and he's dreadful he has all the technical attributes to be a fantastic footballer but it's like from a positional sense it doesn't affect games 
I mean, obviously he's going through a really bad part of his career, but he doesn't affect games at the best of times, really. And he, he should be affecting games more because his technical ability means that he should be. He has an incredible shot on him. He has huge pace. He can beat a man pretty easily. His left foot isn't particularly great. And he's a great fit, but he's a great finisher of the ball. And he's a really good crosser as well, to be honest. He has everything from a technical perspective, not far off. But it's just like when you see him on the pitch, I know like confidence and body language is, is obviously a problem. But also from a tactical perspective, I think he, he is just quite lacking, which is not good. And he should be getting better. Yeah, I'm sure that's coaching. And mm. look, we've had, what, six games under Rangnick now? I'm not sure. Is it six or seven? It's not many anyway. And mm. they had a full week this week. And there's hardly anything. And Rangnick's list of to-dos is really lengthy. Yes. Really lengthy. And clearly it's taking a while to, to get the basics of who's the trigger for the press and who goes where for that. Let alone detailed instructions around defending which he's obviously focused on most for understandable reasons United were shipping way too many and then the forward piece so it's going to take time and before we know it Rangnick will be gone and someone else will come in yeah. and so both Rashford particularly concerning Greenwood too though because we want him to we want him to develop into the kind of world-class talent he has the potential to become mm-hmm. but he's not yet uh, and it would be a uh, desperate if we blew that one as well yeah and you see it's kind of the players before him who have played in the similar positions. Memphis, I would count as that. Martial, Rashford, as these kind of, well, I guess just, well, I think Rick Greenwood is a winger these days. And they've just all stalled. Yeah. Um, and that isn't a good sign for Greenwood. And I know he's very young and it's way too early to speculate whether he'll go down the same route, but it definitely is, is a potential and when you aren't coaching players, which we haven't been at this club for however many years, and Greenwood hasn't played for a manager where he's probably received proper coaching, yep. he's going to also struggle with the same tactical problems that Rashford has. And yeah. again, he's probably played throughout his career in, in the academy as a number nine. And now he's being asked, to, bag, yeah. and being asked to play in these positions in senior football on the right and on the left. And you need to be told how to play that role. It, it, a lot of it will come through intuition. And, and, and the best coaches are, are really, really detailed on this. Pep yeah. is really detailed, for exactly, example. Exactly, yeah. Exactly where to be at what time in what phase of play. And I think the two of them could really do with, with that. Just a, like top-level football, I may be stretching it when talking about United here, but top-level football you know, is a chess game. Yeah. And tactically, uh, and you need to know where the pieces are. And, and yeah, so it's important. Anyway, it's a concern for sure. I, I guess in this game, less or fewer concerns with the back four. They were put under a lot of pressure in the second half. But for the most part, United defended it pretty well. Paul Lindelof was done up like a kipper for the one that hit the bar. He's, he's fleeter of foot than Harry Maguire, but not that fleet of foot. It and was really completely... similar to that one from Maguire. I think it was against Newcastle yeah. or was it Burnley where, yeah, the keeper just kicked it long and for some reason, like unlike every Sunday league defender who would just head that out for a throw-in, right. our players just somehow get lost under the lights like little rabbits. Scared of the ball. Yeah. Oh, there was a... Really, really quite strange. There was, it's cruel, but there was that phase of play where Dallow hit a hit a sort of ball inside. It was a bit of a loose pass, but straight at McTominay, who dodged out of the way. And I was like, 
this can't be right. This can't be right. So I watched it a few times and he looks over his shoulder twice to see what's behind him and then still lets it go. I'm like, well, Scott, oh, really? Anyway, I, yeah, I won't dump on him too much, but I think, look, I thought the back four did okay. I mean, there was nothing in this performance from, uh, for example, from Delow that was outstanding, but nothing that would tell me that he should be dropped in favor of Aaron Wan-Bazaka. Wan-Bazaka was in against Wolves and he was dreadful. Yeah. I think this is Delow's position to lose. Shaw was okay today. He didn't do anything defensively wrong, did he? You know, contribute something going forward, at least in the first half. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought Varane was was neat all round. And the attacking sense, we talked a lot about Rashford and Greenwood, but Fernandes were back today after missing a couple of games. So one through suspension, one through being dropped. And he was busy, wasn't he? don't know how effective he was, but he was really busy. You know, the heart of most of what United were doing in an attacking sense. Yeah, I think he played a few nice key passes over the top of the events to, to Rashford and to Greenwood. I think he played both of them passes that put us in. And maybe not quite right with that, but it felt like he did. Um, and I think you always get that from with Bruno. Like you, you might be a little, he might be a little bit scruffy himself at times, and he does give the ball away a lot. But it's just that beautiful inch perfect pass that he just can pull off over time and time again to set yeah. us free on, especially when we've got those pacey wingers who can just bear down on goal. And he's excellent, obviously. He's taken a lot of criticism this season and, and because he's come, he's dropped off, he's really the highest of heights, hasn't he? But yeah. I was looking at the stats because I was really, I was kind of confused about how much people are dumping on him because it, the question for me is what's the other option here? And you know, Rangnick obviously dropped him in favour of this sort of narrow 4-2-2-2 and then he's gone to a 4-2-3-1 in this system which sort of favours Bruno again. But he's still United's highest assist it all comps, right? Most assists, most big chances created, most goal creation opportunities. I think it's called it's XG chain, right? It's in the chain of a, a shot. Shot creating opportunities. Like every attacking metric, bar goals, he's number one. And so even not playing well, he's central to everything United do in and a it, creative sense. And it's not a surprise at all, because you think of that four-two-two-two formation, and you're thinking of kind of the two central midfielders there. I mean, where's the creativity going to come from in that sense? Yeah. There's no one who's going to play perfect passes forward. And the only person really in the squad, apart from Bruno, who can do that is Pogba. And obviously he's injured and, and very inconsistent when he plays anyway. Bruno's the only person who's going to bring up creativity. Yeah. That was our problem before Bruno came in. We didn't have that someone who's... Exactly. Yeah. For years so he... and years, like almost since like Skulls was there. And well, well exactly, and I, I do, I do kind of think when people are dumping on him, what do, what do you want? Do you want to go mm. back to the the time when United couldn't create a chance in the game? <laughs> you know, pre Bruno. That's why United brought him in. So if, if he needs to play more to get back into form, uh, then then play him for God's sake. He's still going to create chances. So so you know some good stuff from United in an attacking sense. Villa, we know how dangerous they can be. I think they've had uh, they've had a few good results of. In the early part of Gerrard's sort of coming in, they got the bounce that United didn't really get. And then the results tailed off in recent times. But I'm worried about next weekend for sure. They look danger- plenty dangerous enough to cause United problems. They had two goals chalked off. What do, you, what do you think of the first one? And why was it chalked off exactly? I I didn't think it should be at first, but then there was a replay I saw just, just after the game had finished. And... I think it was Ramsey, wasn't it, who ran in yes. Cavani's way. And he 
definitely clearly moves his body and stares at Cavani and does block him off. So uh, maybe this is United bias coming through, I'm sure. But I actually do think it was a foul. And I didn't initially, and I thought, oh, we've got away with one there. But the last replay that I saw, it felt to me that, yeah, he's definitely gone into there to block him. Whether Cavani's actually going to get there in that respect, I don't know. Yeah, the, it was interesting that... Uh, I know, I thought that. I thought, like, it's not NFL. You can't just block people. Yeah. The interesting thing, it was given as an indirect free, free kick. So for the offside. And Dale Johnson from ESPN, who loves far and explains them in mega threads on a, <laughs> on a Monday morning, said it's because Ramsey moves towards Cavani that he's then active and it activates that phase of play. Uh, so he was offside. I mean, incredibly complicated. But that's obviously why it took so long because they're working out what phase of play is it? Is it reset? And therefore, was he active when he, he plays the ball across? So it wasn't actually so, for blocking him? It wasn't for the foul. It was for the offside. But for the first phase offside, not the second phase offside, because obviously Ings is not offside because the ball's headed backwards. It looked very close to being handball as well. I was trying to work out yeah. which of three things he could be ruled out for. I don't care. Looking at Steven Gerrard on the sidelines having a bit of a hump about it. That was sweet enough. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like any decision that goes against that man, I'm all up for. Yeah, especially when he celebrated just before that as well. That always makes it a little bit better. I think there's plenty in this Villa side. There obviously looks like they're adding Lucas Dunia to... Coutinho. To Matt, and Coutinho. So, you know, Matt Target will get... Uh, or Tajé will get <laughs> some competition at left back. He's a good player, Lucas Dunia, even mm -hmm. if he doesn't get on with Rafa Benitez. I mean, yeah, plenty of people don't get on with Rafa yeah, Benitez. who does? Yeah, exactly. And uh, then Coutinho. And I've seen plenty of him at Barcelona and Bayern. He was, you know, for most of his, what, nearly four years at Barcelona, he's been pretty dreadful, mm -hmm. honestly. And maybe it's the price tag, maybe it's the system weighing him down, but he was not the player that we knew at Liverpool. And he only produced bits of that for Bayern. Notably in the final, which which was, uh, yeah, the, he picked the right time, didn't he? So we'll see what he does for Villa. But it's a mark of their um, ambition, isn't it? They've got uh, wealthier owners now who have eyes on European football, prepared to invest, made a, a big decision in dumping Dean Smith, the local boy Dean Smith for Steven Gerrard, didn't they? And and they're going to, seems like they're going to back him in the transfer market. Yeah, it's two signings that I would expect Newcastle to have made, to be honest. And right. I'm always surprised that both of them didn't go to Newcastle and they're both linked right. to Newcastle. It's interesting with Coutinho because he obviously was playing for a Barca team where so many players, a bit like United, have gone there with loads of talent and loads of potential and just not worked out. Dembele being right. obviously another example yeah. and so many others. So I guess it's hard to judge him on on going to that mess of a club. Uh, Bayern obviously didn't what didn't show himself in any glory either. But again, maybe it was a little bit difficult in that because you just difficult to get in the team because it's so good. Yeah. It's somewhere like Villa, if he's given the responsibility to almost a bit like Jack Grealish, and go out there and do what you what you want really and, and be the star man and he is by far technically better than anyone else in that ability maybe he can be the man i just feel that signing might be a bit like the james rodriguez one at everton yeah. start off really well he's got loads and loads of ability it looks like he's going to be an amazing signing and then maybe this is the reason why you are at everton kind yeah. of thing 
I, I assume he's going to take Amy Brindia's place. And, mm. and Brindia was excellent today, I thought. He I mean, was, Because, yeah. yeah, he had a lot of problems. And, and, you know, maybe he's not had the brightest start to his time at Villa, but if you've seen him at Norwich, either in the Premier League for his season there or, or in the Championship, he creates chances, yeah. just so many, and he's so direct. So it would be a shame for Villa if they lost that. Or, or maybe Ings, who's not had a good season, drops out of the side and Coutinho plays off the left with Watkins through the middle. It just gives them more options. They, Almost seems like that squad's overloaded up front, yeah. or in attacking areas now. They've and, done a bit uh, yes. like they've been a bit like Tottenham when they got rid of Bale. Like they've just not spent that Jack Grealish money well. And I thought Buendia yeah. was going to be a really good signing, but what he scored one goal or something, and and he was their record. I think he's their record signing ever. I mean, because they tried to moneyball it. They were like, we lost Jack Grealish, so we're going to replace him with three players, even mm. though. I don't think the rules allow them to play 14 players in every game. Just check in that one. Yeah. It's, so, yeah, Ings hasn't delivered the goals. Leon Bailey's been just as inconsistent as he has mm. been in the Bundesliga. I mean, if yeah. you have watched it, like, he blows so hot and cold uh, and always did for his entire career. So yeah. not a lot of surprise there. And Buendia, yeah, perhaps he hasn't been as good as we expected. Um, so Coutinho, who knows? I, I, I have no hatred for Villa. I, I particularly hate Steven Gerrard, so I'm <laughs> looking forward to him failing. <laughs> But I thought in that of second course. half they were really, they're really actually quite good. Yeah. I don't know if, like I said earlier in the show, that it might have just been a case of let's show United less respect here because I thought in the first half they were really yeah. quite placid and they just didn't close us down in a similar way to like Burnley didn't when we played them a few we- uh, a couple of weeks ago, whereas Newcastle, Norwich, Wolves didn't let us play and Villa yeah. were like that in the second half and we just couldn't play through their press. I, I think you're right, yeah. If Villa Park and the crowd are massively behind them, which they will be, and Gerald gets into them early, I feel, I feel like we could be under pressure because we yeah. just feel like, it feels to me that we can't play with against the team who play with intensity. And when Villa did up their intensity in that second half, we just couldn't play through it. And again, that goes back to the midfield of McTominay and Fred, who yeah. just cannot play through a press and they're not tidy enough to to get out of that. I thought, actually, in fairness to Ranić, he did change the game in a way that Oli doesn't change the game by bringing Van der Beek on. Because after that, we did have more control in that midfield. Yes, yeah. And that last 15 minutes, we kind of gained the foothold again. I, sh- I think he should have made that move 10 minutes earlier, but he did yeah, the right true. thing. And, and play- basically, you know, Van der Beek played in a false nine position. He didn't actually switch anything else around. Mm. And, you know, he got the control back almost immediately. Yeah. You're absolutely right about the intensity. United are not able to switch it up at all and almost go back into their shell as soon as the, the opposition do that. I, I, I think maybe I'm doing Gerard a disservice, but my assumption of him as a manager would be that he's all blood and thunder. And yeah. I can imagine exactly what that halftime team talk was like. And it seemed to have worked, to be fair. I, he's probably a smarter tactician as well. But from um, what I read at his time at Rangers... It wasn't him who did the tactical stuff. It was right. his assistant manager who's obviously come down. But he with brought the whole villa. team, yeah. 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 And, and I don't know why football managers are more like that. I, don't, I think maybe Oli tried to be that with McKenna and he was the tactics man and Oli was the, the atmosphere man. And I feel like this is the way that Gerard has, has maybe cleverly structured it, that he is the blood and right. thunder man and, and you're correct in that. But then yeah. he has a guy for the tactics because it should be quite easy to just do that, really. You rely on someone else's a greater knowledge. You well, they specialise every other coaching position, don't exactly, they? Exactly, so, yeah. Alex Ferguson is smart enough to realise that at the turn of the century, law tells us it's that battering by Real Madrid 
that had him thinking, and he may or may not have been that, and certainly the last sort of 10 years or so of United's performances in Europe under Ferguson were more conservative mm-hmm. at times than the previous 10 years. But he brought in Carlos Quiroz to do that job and he worked for him. And, and Ferguson, and I think Oli tried to model himself on the Ferguson general manager. He wasn't good enough at that and, he was, and his team wasn't good enough either. No. Rangnick is obviously taking a different approach to things because he's the main tactics man and the main coach and he's brought in Chris Armas, who's a mid-level MLS manager who's failed at two MLS clubs that apparently the players hate, if you believe any of those stories. Mm. <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. Anyway, any other thoughts on, on this? United are through now, fourth round, home tie against Middlesbrough. It's a good opportunity, United's only opportunity for silverware, realistically. Yeah, it's nice that we've got a, I say, easier tie in the next round, but you see the way that Forrest dumped out Arsenal and Middlesbrough are higher than Forrest in the league. So, yeah. And I feel like if Middlesbrough play with any intensity, we're going to be struggling because we struggle against Norwich. Yeah, They will because it's, you know, tech, I, I haven't They're seen They're going to be massively up for it, aren't they? They're going to be massively up for it. They'll bring a huge following to Old Trafford and because uh, they'll have the whole of the, the whole of the K stand. Uh, and yeah, it'll be all intensity and no skill. So yeah. United had better be better than them. I feel I'm sounding like Roy Keane now, aren't I? You, know, but, you do the work first and, and then you get your quality shows. <laughs> I know, but it feels like so much of it is mentality at the moment. Actually, I, f- I say that it's a lot of mentality and it's a lot of tactics. And like we've said at the start of this show and on the previous shows, Randick has a lot to do. And it's yeah. in so many different respects. All right. A couple of things to talk about then as we move on. So there's been a lot of press chatter since United lost to Wolves, unsurprisingly. But, I mean, it doesn't half say a lot about where the United dressing room is at. That what I, I was count, trying to count. It's, it's half a dozen players who've either been chatting to the press, their favourites, uh, some of whom we know or their agents, or both. Uh, and a hell of a lot of stories about, I just mentioned Armas, the players' views on Chris Armas, apparently he's not that good. Players' views on Ragnick, some of them don't like some home truths being told to them, I think is the, the real story there. Training, the togetherness in the squad, which obviously Luke Shaw talked about after Wolves in uh, pretty blunt terms. I think cliques in the dressing room, apparently, the Ronaldos versus the non-Ronaldos. Hey, what happens when you bring a massive egotistical narcissist into the dressing room? Do you think it causes any problems? Just a thought. Any other stories? Am I am I am I getting all of it in there? No, no. There's there, there's uh, George Mendes flying in for crisis talks with Ronaldo. Will Ronaldo stay or will he go? Shock. This is just amazing, isn't it? Like we th- we think to like most football clubs when they get a new manager in, and it's all happy days at least for like a a month or so. And they right. may be like it, it, it falls apart, but what did we get? Three games, three games, grace. We didn't even I get know. a bounce. We didn't even get a bounce. None. And oh, I forgot one story that there's this story about the number of unhappy players that want to leave, which went up from 11 to 15 to 17 on the same day. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Good luck trying to sell them. Seeing as no one, we can't actually sell anyone anyway. It's just indicative in, of, of the position that United are at the moment and indicative of the structural problems that lay at the top of the club because, like, as we spoke about again last time, you, you're flipping from manager to manager who have dis- 
different personalities and different worldviews and, and different tactical overviews. And you get into this point where you think to when Fergie obviously used to buy footballers, he bought them on ability and also personality. Yeah. And do, do you think that that ever is in, goes into the mind of, of a manager of the club when they try and sign players? I guess they Just did a little bit like, like it, does it? Mourinho, I'm sure, would have probably thought about that a lot, but they're not really the type of players that we want to be in the club when Mourinho's signing, I don't know, well, his favourites, I guess, who people who mirror Mourinho's outlook on the world. Just an aside, but Roma lost 4-3 to Juventus this weekend at home. They were 3-1 up and, and Juve pulled it back to win 4-3 and then Matthias De Ligt got sent off and Roma missed a penalty to equalise it. Just classic. And of course... That's just too much for Mourinho's brain. Absolute fucking meltdown afterwards, <laughs> in which he accused all the players of being mentally weak. <laughs> it just took me back to the time that he, he you know, he, he issued a punishment beating to Luke Shaw on a weekly basis, didn't he? I mean, he's just absolutely dumped on all of these. It's a horrible there. man. You see that time early in the season where where Bodo, where they lost to Bodo Glint in the Europa League yeah. and started yeah. dumping on all their secondary players. Like, you've only been yeah. there three months, mate. And you have to go at I, half of the squad. I sent that uh, around to the WhatsApp group, the famous NQAT WhatsApp group, and and Paul and Tom, uh, Tom produced Tom thought that was uh, me sending a picture of a football manager game I had going. <laughs> they didn't believe it was a real <laughs> result. <laughs> so, yeah, I just horrible, horrible man. Just yeah, awful. Anyway, I sidetracked us but, there a little. But it's just the, it's just the personality of the squad. You've got players yeah. who who mirror Mourinho's outlook. You've got players who mirror Oli's outlook. You've got someone yeah. like Ronaldo who mirrors only his own outlook. Yeah, and you, you're gonna have these cliques. It's just a it's almost this this obvious thing that's gonna happen. Then the the cliques and the unhappiness manifest themselves into everyone chatting to the press all the time. Uh, who was it? Was it Gary Neville who called them moaners and whingers? Yeah, winch last bags, week. I think, yeah, winch bags. Yeah, uh, nice. And then Roy Keane had a go at Harry Maguire. I mean, he likes having a go at Harry Maguire, to be <laughs> honest. But Harry came out with his usual sort of apology interview. You know, yeah. either it's a tweet or it's a hostage video or. It's like, oh, we must come together. Maguire said something along the lines of, I'm the captain and I'm the leader. Yeah, he did. He started it off by that, didn't he? Yeah, captain, leader, something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not going to finish that, but uh, I was like, yeah, you've got to show that on the pitch first. Uh, and that's exactly what Roy Keane said. I'm not always like nodding along to Roy Keane because most of it's route one stuff, honestly, in terms of his analysis. But it's like... I I would prefer the talking on the pitch when it comes to Maguire because it's yeah you know, he, he's pretty boring and robotic I think <laughs> King called him off the pitch and on the pitch I mean he's he's even worse than that yeah he just he hasn't got the credence to come out with stuff like that though he's got oh. he's built up n nothing to suggest that he can come out and and also that the players would listen to him right United captains of the past Robson Keane Cantona. And what, this guy's come from Leicester and he, he came, well, he was quite good at Leicester, not amazing. He had a good World Cup and then he comes in and somehow is captain of Man United. And you think of like players like Bruno's quality, you just imagine that in his head, he's just like, am I really going to listen to this bloke? Maybe that I'm being a bit harsh on Bruno, but I'm, there's definitely footballers in that squad who were thinking exactly that. I'm 100% sure because yeah. his his uh, performances haven't been good enough. I mean, apparently 
according to one of the many, many stories that have come out, another one I've forgotten. How many have we got now? Like, it's, it's coming up to a dozen. Uh, Ronaldo has been having to go at Sean and Maguire this season, calling them out for not being good enough. And he's writing that analysis. He, he also probably ought to look in the mirror, which he does a lot. If you've ever seen one of those documentaries <laughs> of his, with his house, where every wall is covered in a mirror. So he does look in the mirror, but maybe more in the me- metaphorical sense. But anyway, yeah, I think it's fair enough if you call out Sean and Maguire for their performances this season, because they've been dreadful. Anyway, that was those stories. The other big story of the week, Edward Wood confirming that he's leaving on February the 1st and Richard Arnold will take over as CEO. What are your thoughts on Woodward's legacy then? I don't know if you saw Samuel Lucas' article in, in the MAN, but he said Woodward used to believe that he had a, like an albatross hung around his neck because of United's history and it was such a burden that he had to take over a, a club like Man United who are so rich in history and, and so rich in glory. I just can't believe that someone would ever think that. Because you, <laughs> look at, that is... A, a gold mine. You've 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 just been given like one of the best jobs in the world, mate. Yeah. You think this is a burden, like four million pounds a year. And it's not yeah. like the history was fifty years ago. Someone like Nottingham Forest, where people are just thinking about the the history all the time, or someone like like from a Hungarian perspective, where Hungary used to be good in the fifties, and and yeah. this is what happens in Hungary. Everyone compares them to the teams in the fifties. You inherited a, a like obviously with there was structural problems at the time with that United team, but they still inherited a a, a, a team that won the Premier League. You yeah. didn't. You're not taking over a, a team that haven't won the Premier League for 20 years, haven't won the Champions League for 20 years, and I, I just I think that just kind of sums him up really. He's like a go-kart racer that's been handed an F1 car mm. and he had no ability to control it at all, none at all. But he loved the he loved the lifestyle. Yeah, but and and there's so much to blame from the Glazers' perspective as well. Like he's a commercial guy, and hate it or love it or not, from a commercial perspective, he did do, I guess, a good job. He found first all, half, first half of his time at United. Yeah, he did. finding yeah, all these so, stupid things like I don't know that Chris Kazakhstani Chris manufacturer exactly, yeah. official partner yeah look that was the only innovation I have to say I tend to push back on Twitter on a lot of journalists who who don't give a nuanced view of the commercials because it's this kind of myth that is it was only good only upside United benefited on the commercial side under Woodward's reign from all boats floating mm-hmm. so if you look at the commercial uptake at Bayern Real Madrid Juventus the big European clubs, City, Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal, it has all the same trajectory. Now, United went earlier and they pioneered the regional sponsorship partners by breaking down these big sponsorships into many smaller components, the sum of which equaled more than one big sponsor, right? So that was the innovation. But that was in the early part of his time as like the lead commercial guy under the Glazers. I mean, first thing they did, of course, was jack all the prices up. Woodward was part of that. And then they went for the regional sponsorship and increased that. And then after he took over as CEO, like it's been flat. He, he took over as CEO in 2013, United IPO'd just before that. Am I right in saying it was it 2012, the IPO? Um, last time I looked, United share price was at 14.90. They IPO'd at 14. The return on capital invested at $2.8 billion club or whatever you know, company it's negligible. It's lower than inflation. It's lower than the market. It's, 
it is the investor equivalent of taking a big pile of cash and setting it on fire. <laughs> I, that, I mean, they're destroying value from a commercial perspective, but the way the Glazers think and what Woodward enabled them to do was just use it as a cash machine. So they've got this asset for which they paid almost like a hundred million of the purchase price was their money. The rest of it was all borrowed, 500 million of which is still dumped on the club. And so they see this kind of the inflated value of the asset, most of which was pre-IPO. And they're just sitting on that and they can sell it at the point they feel like selling it. Or if someone, you know, comes in from Russia or the Middle East or China or wherever. And in the meantime, they can take 23 million pounds out, which they've just done last week, the second block of their, their annual dividend and just live off that and then sell blocks of shares, which they've been doing over time. And I think they, they have about 70 odd percent of A class shares now. And they sold a, you know, which one of the Glazers sold $150 million a couple of months ago worth of shares. Woodward enabled all of that. Sorry, I'm going on a big rank because I fucking hate the guy. He needs to bring, he needs to bring them back United, rant. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> That's it. Uh, we dropped that because we didn't think it reflected. We didn't want to become Arsenal fan TV <laughs> podcast. Anyway, Jim White. The journalist Big Unite fan summed it up really well when he said Woodward's legacy is a total failure and there can't be a single United fan who's shedding a tear for this guy going. No. Now, Woodward's number two, Richard Arnold, is the man that's taken over. So I don't have a lot of hope for what the future uh, brings because he'll be taking instruction from Joel Glazer. I, I, I don't think structurally much changes. Now, they might tinker around the edges. There's talk of Fletcher and Murtagh and the football department getting more autonomy, which if they do is good. If they do a good job, question mark, because, you yeah, know, who knows? This is the problem. There's so much wrong with the, with the football inside. And when Ranyuk took over, I was really surprised that he had done because I thought he would have looked at the way that United is structured and, and just took one look and ran away because it feels like from the outside that it's too political, it's too bureaucratic. Yeah. And for it to change would need I, I would have thought Ranić to take full control over the whole footballing side of the club but that doesn't seem like it's going to happen no it looks like at best best scenarios he's basically in the continuary to to Murtar mm -hmm. and if Murtar gets more power who knows apparently in the interview process Murtar did the first call and he also talked to Woodward and Fletcher but I don't think he talked to Joel Glazer at least it's not been reported. And that feels like the key missing interview. And, and it should have gone the other way around with Radnick asking that exact question. You know, what is the scope? That's what I don't really understand about this whole thing. I don't get what Radnick is getting out of this. Because he's not one of them types of managers who just wants a big club on his CV. He wants to go into a club and make a huge difference. I thought that he was that type of guy. Maybe I've read him wrong. Or, may, or maybe he thinks he can and he's going to be sadly let down, I imagine. Maybe he wants this to be his legacy because he's yeah, getting exactly. on and he thinks that maybe this is my last chance to to really do it at a big club and, and yeah. transform the, the fortunes of this huge club who've, who are in the gutter. But in relative terms, United are in yeah. the gutter. I'm sure, that, I'm sure that's part of thinking. As Van Gaal and Mourinho and, uh, yeah, Pogba and Ibrahimovic and a whole bunch of Varane and, and like all of these people are attracted to the history and the name and the money. I mean, he's getting five million a year, right, Nick, you know, as a consultant when he um, finishes his six month in charge. And I'm sure he's thinking that. I'm sure he's thinking about, yes, I can turn it around. Now, the key, the, the 
crucial meeting, the absolute crucial meeting is who gets to control the football budget. Mm -hmm. Because if it's set at the beginning of the season, you have X million, 320 million for the, the wage budget and 100 million on transfers and you stick it into all one big part and you say, right, that's your, that's your football budget. We've got a capital budget, we've got a football budget, we've got the Glazers piggy bank budget, whatever that. <laughs> if, if that is really autonomously given over to the football side of the business, then that's a good thing, very good thing. Now, after that, it's got to be executed well. And United truly are the banter club when it comes to executing well yeah. anything on the football side of the business because as much as he denies it through his friends, like old big ears at the BBC and others in the press, Woodward had his hand on everything United did yeah. in football terms. Everything. And you know this because whenever there was Varane stepping out onto the pitch, holding his number 19 shirt, the unveiling, Woodward's people let it be known that he had a key part to play in bringing Varane to the club. Mm -hmm. He couldn't help himself mm -hmm. ever. And hopefully Richard Arnold is not of that profile. He's more introverted. So people say, never met him. He's a tough negotiator. He's laser focused on the business. I hope so. I hope so. Edward would like the glamour and the glory. And he's got a vineyard and he liked the vino too. So people say, so I have heard <laughs> from people who know him. Maybe there's some hope, but I'm just so deeply cynical and burned after 16 years of these f***ers being in charge yeah. that I just, I don't believe that, I don't believe it until I see it, that change is coming. Yeah. And you just wonder how this guy got into the position he is in. Like, I always think that with politicians and people and executives at, at most companies, like you have to get into that position because you are a certain type of person. And maybe I'm being deeply unfair to Murta here, but... I feel that he is, he's obviously a Glazer person in the eyes, in whatever way that means. And that's why I have, I know that maybe is a very broad sweeping statement, but it's one of the reasons why I have no faith. In, and also just, it's, it's hard to have faith in, in anything that the Glazers touch because it's just been like misery upon misery for, for so many yeah. years now. Well, you know. For for all the flatness in United's commercials, United still generate lots of cash. So there's always that to fall back on, if only. Mm. Yeah, and they can use a club like a piggy bank if they want. Because 23 million in dividends is a drop in the ocean compared to, which is always their argument, right? A drop in the ocean compared to United's overall revenue. If the club can get it right. If the club can get it right on the, on the, the football side of the business, the value of the business will increase. I talked about the stock market. If United just tracked the stock market, not overperformed, the club would be worth $7.2 billion right now. Wow. Just tracking the stock market, not 2.8. And so that's the value they've destroyed by stupid decisions. Mm -hmm. And if they just make the basics right, United will be in a much better position. And like we've said before, it is the basics. It's not rocket science. If people like us can point it out and like it's not that difficult because so many football clubs do it and they run themselves properly with a lot smaller budgets than man united that's right just get it right just just get the basics right get the structure right get the right people in and and with united's budget we we will you know i'm not saying united will win ferguson levels of of premier league titles but we'll be competing 
and we're miles off it. And, and not only are we miles off it, I look at the competition around the Premier League and, I, you know, I really worry for United's future. Mm-hmm. So we've got Chelsea City who can spend more. Liverpool who spend it better consistently, yeah. even though their budget's smaller. Arsenal who seem to go be going in the right direction, although we'll talk about the FA Cup in a bit because mm-hmm. that was quite funny at the weekend. Nice. And then you've got like upstarts who really really have bold ambitions. Leicester run fantastically well for a smaller club, much smaller budget. Tottenham, who now crowds are back, will get the benefit of all that revenue and will be chasing down United's revenue. And Villa, who are massively ambitious. And then you've got the office team of the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia, who (laughs) who will be spending bucket loads of cash. That paints a really bleak picture unless Arnold can get this right. Yeah, you're really right. That is really quite depressing when you put it like that for more of this content you can head over to <laughs> hkt on our patreon and back us there yeah anyway moving on i guess so we got villa at the weekend where well, you've seen villa recently yeah i haven't actually no much about them no, i think no, they're no, any good not seen them for a while i mean after that speech i feel like yeah is there any point of of saturday's game but like i said earlier i'm, I'm afraid of their intensity if they're intense against us we're going to struggle and we have been dreadful away from home as well recently. I would like to pick up the tone a little bit and, and flip it to a bit more of a positive outlook, but I don't feel like I can, and I'm sorry. I was, I was just looking through Villa's results. Obviously, they lost today. They lost against Brentford. It was a good game, actually, last last weekend. They lost against Chelsea. They had a couple of matches called off for COVID. So that early bounce has disappeared. They lost mm-hmm. against Liverpool. They're unlucky in that one and lost against City. Was uh, was Smith out by then? Yeah, Smith was out by the, the City game, wasn't yeah. he? So they've had a couple of victories over Norwich. Well, no shakes there. And Leicester, who are pretty mixed. Mm-hmm. And Palace since late November. So a real mixed bag from, from Villa. Probably not performing to the, the standards of the quality of their squad. 13th in the Premier League. They're better than that, aren't yeah. they? I think. And they caused us a lot of problems today. Just a lot. And as you mentioned earlier, intensity of the crowd. I think that second half will be instructional for them. Mm-hmm. They had 57% possession today overall, much more than that in the second half. It kind of feels like that's the pattern. Or is that too negative? I, I No, I don't think it is. And it's hard to say that it's going to be any different from that second half because it doesn't look like we are getting a lot better. It doesn't look like we're getting better. Like I, I, f- I thought the first half today was good. Like I say, we had more patterns to our play. There was more fluidity in the attack. Even in the first half, though, we struggled defensively and we got countered on too easily. Our, our, they got in on our defence too easily, as we spoke about. And I just feel that we aren't getting better and and they're not a bad team and we've struggled against worse teams than that recently. And I... That's why I just can't, I don't have any positivity ahead of this game. Yeah. Which is quite bad because we won tonight. Like, yeah, at the yeah. end of the day, we did yeah. win tonight and looks reasonably okay at doing it, but we did make hard work of it. And, yeah. and the problem is, yeah, my biggest problem is just the structural problems don't seem to be getting any better. And even without Ronaldo today, I, th- I thought we, we looked a bit more fluid, but then we weren't probably good enough to justify him not playing on Saturday, probably. He's got a hip flexor problem, which can which can last. So mm-hmm. I think it'd be touch and go whether whether he plays at the weekend or not. But if he's fit, he'll play. Yeah, 
And it would have been nice if we'd have gone out there today and won four nil and then we could have and played absolutely amazingly and we could have gone, yeah, we don't need him. Maybe yeah. I'm being harsh on Ronaldo anyway. Maybe we'll improve this side. I have my doubts about that, to be honest. But it's, it's just, th there are huge structural problems and the midfield is obviously one of the, the huge problems. And I don't think we're going to sign anyone in this January window. It doesn't look doesn't like look it. Like it. Um, 10th and... of Jan, nothing's happened. Doesn't look like there's any... What budget there is will be safe for the summer, I imagine, for the new coach. Yeah, and it's, assuming there, I assume there's going to be a new coach. And, and, and uh, it's always just a tough time to buy, anyway, isn't it? And I think feel like just the problems are just going to persist throughout the season. And I don't think it's really yeah. going to get too much better when we have that midfield. If you wave sixty or seventy million at, at Brighton or Leicester for Ndidi or Yves Bissouma, I think it costs you know both of them over at the African Championships at the moment. But wave a load of money, I think they might do business. But still, it, that's not going to happen. And United are going to struggle through with this. And it's really short-sighted because there's every chance that uh, United miss out in the Champions League. Yep. Every chance. And given our history, that well, that's going to cost 50 million just straight off. Missing out in the Champions League. Miss out on it again the season afterwards, which given like United only make one in two anyway in the, <laughs> the post-Fergie era, there's it's a coin toss, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and that will cost even more, more like a hundred million, given some of the clauses and some of the contracts. So it's pretty short-sighted, I'd say, bordering on negligent to not fix this problem. Anyway, let's get back into all the big problems. But that's yeah. that is uh, that is the the heart of it all, isn't it? And it's where Villa uh, some strength. I, I, I'm assuming Coutinho will be available for the weekend's <laughs> game, and they'll add some strength there. And yeah, I feel a bit. Mm. I don't feel awesome about given what we saw in the second half of albeit a victory. I don't feel awesome about what's coming up. And it's, it's hard not to look at the bigger problems of this whole team when you just see it so glaringly obvious on the pitch. Like, it's not just a tactical problem. It's not just a mentality problem. It's so, so many problems that that, that on-pitch display just showcases the, the bigger problems at this football club. So it's yeah. just, it's impossible to talk about the football without talking about the structural problems, really. No, I think you're right. And I've dragged you down to my level by upping the level of cynicism. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about the FA Cup and other stuff for Becker's content, uh, including Nottingham Forest's uh, victory over Arsenal, in which James Garner was excellent. Mm. If United are looking out there for a midfielder at all. Andy also took a good free kick. Yeah. It'd be nice to have some of them in our team. Didn't we hire a set-piece coach? Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember very distinctly we hired a set peace peace coach talking about banter club earlier. <laughs> this guy's a this guy's a joker, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, abysmal, abysmal. Yeah, I want to know what he's smoking. Offen and I want some offensively and, and defensively, uh, like that. They, just, their goal today, maybe Cavani would have got there if he didn't get blocked off. But the ball was in the air for about five minutes, and they still had a free header. Yeah. It's dreadful. Yes. Anyway, we'll talk about that and other stuff. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Tom, what's your Twitter address? Where can people find you? It's Thomas Mortimer without the H and with a Z on the Thomas. Very good. On Twitter and I'm at NQAT Pod. On Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, probably somewhere else. I don't think we're on TikTok. Never set that one up. <laughs> Not sure you could dance around a podcast. But anyway, we'll see you all next week and uh, hopefully touch wood a good performance against Villa <laughs> <laughs>